Well, good morning. And as you can see in our video and you can see in our image, we're starting a brand new series this morning called God's Top Ten. We're going to be getting into the Ten Commandments. But, but first I have to tell this. You see, about uh, a year ago or so, I found myself having the joy, the absolute pleasure of assembling a piece of furniture from Target. Now, the reason why I chose to have do-it-yourself, assemble-it-yourself furniture is because I'm really high class, all right? And that's what people of high class do. And so, so here we are. Um, I say we, it's just, it's just myself. And so I, I lay out all the pieces. I put it like all over the floor. And, uh, and then I, I uh, open up all the little packets, you know, and just kind of lay it out. And I'm staring at what is just like several wooden planks and screws and everything. Uh, but I think to myself, you know what? Like, I'm a smart person, right? I mean, look at these instructions. I, I mean, come on, seriously. Like, I've got a master's degree. Do I really need instructions on how to assemble self-assembling furniture? I mean, this is ridiculous. I say to myself, okay, you know, I can do this. I mean, I, I also as well, I have to brag, expert Lego builder, okay, uh, from my childhood. And so I, I'm looking at the box and I'm looking at the pieces. I'm thinking to myself, well, this goes here. And oh, look, you know, there's eight of these things and there's eight of those. So I can screw them in here. And so I get going and, and then I, uh, about 45 minutes into it, I have what I consider to be a well done piece of furniture. But I knew that I was in trouble. There was a couple red flags. One of them being, you know how they give you just like a couple extra screws and bolts and everything, you know? Uh, just in case if uh, you either lose it or it gets lost in shipment. Well, I had a whole extra wooden plank, all right? <laughs> so I thought to myself, well, that cannot be good. And they don't just ship extra wood planks. So I thought, that's, that's bad, okay? We're just going to call that what it is. But then I looked at the wooden shelf, and, and I was noticing that the front panel, I'm like, I don't know how I did this, 45 minutes not noticing it. The front panel was actually on backwards, okay? So I think to myself, oh, that's no big deal. I'll just probably unscrew a couple things, and then I'm sure I can flip it around. It's no big deal, right? So I think to myself, fine, I'll finally look at the instructions. So I open up the instructions, and guess what step that front panel's on? Step number one, <laughs> which meant that I not only did I waste 45 minutes of my life, but I had to spend another 20 minutes unassembling it all. And of course, you know how this goes. I don't have a electric screwdriver, so I'm just like, for everything. And then I finally look at the instructions. Okay, this goes on this way. And they even make a whole point about it. You know, like, make sure it's facing this way. They have the whole thing on it. And, and sure enough, I did. Finally assembled it. And the extra wooden uh, plank was not extra. It was like supposed to actually be in there. I found that out too. And so, so I, I say all this because here's why. The people who had designed this, the people who had made this, uh, they, they literally, they, they had a, a purpose in mind for everything. And, and, and for them, these guys, they're going to write an instruction manual. And out of everybody in the entire world, out of everybody in the entire universe who knows best how to assemble this shelf, it would have to be those who designed it, right? That's just logical. That's just logic that, hey, if you designed it and you built it, you out of everyone knows how best it should go together. Not myself who had never done this before and certainly had not designed it. Uh, I'm not the one who knows best. It's the creator. The creator knows best. 
You see, in the same way, the creator of the world, God, who made the heavens and the earth, his ways are best. It just has to be. If he made it, then he knows best. Uh, If we believe the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we believe that, which is simple, and yet it's so profound, and yet it's so awestruck to actually stop and to think about it. But if we believe that very first verse of the Bible, then the logical conclusion is that whenever God gives us instructions on how to live, do this, don't do that. Whenever he gives us those instructions, he knows what he's talking about, okay? Better than you do. And and by the way, one of the things that I'm fascinated with sin is that whenever God says, do this or don't do this, and you look to God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and you say, you know what, God, actually my way is better than your way. Not only is that incredibly gutsy, but it's just, it's just logically just not even possible, right? You see, God created everything, and he created physical laws that, that you may not think apply to you, but they do, okay? Physical laws such as gravity. So if you think to yourself, well, you know, gravity just does not apply to me today, and you're going to test that out by jumping off of a roof of a building, you're going to find out that actually, no, it does apply to you. It, it is universal, but also on top of that, but if you try to go outside of what God has created, then you're going to get hurt. And in the same way, God has created moral laws. He has created the best ways to live. He has created these these foundations that he has given to his people saying, I want you to live life. I want you to live life to its fullest. Jesus even said that, John 10, 10. I want you to live life to its fullest. And God is saying, I want you to live life to its fullest. And here's how. Here's the top 10 things to do and the top things not to do. And, and here's, here's the reason I go into this, what I'm now realizing is a lengthy introduction, because so much of our culture looks at Christians, and they look at God, and they look at his commandments, they look at the Bible, and they say to themselves, geez, it just kind of sounds like that everyone else, you know, the pagans, the heathens, are out partying it up, they're having a blast, they're having fun, but those Christians, ugh. They're just a bunch of prudes. And that's how God wants it. God wants everyone else to have fun except for the Christians. The Christians, we are called uh, to live this life of of, uh, just being lame. All right, let's just say it like it is, all right? Just being not fun. That we're not gonna really enjoy life, but that's okay. And and really some people uh, outside of Christianity or inside of Christianity believe that that's almost like a moral, um, uh, like it's piety. You know, I'm going to sacrifice joy in life. Uh, no, Jesus said that he wants us to have life and life to its, its fullest. And, and it makes so much sense that if we obey the Ten Commandments, which is what God does, God calls us to obedience. They're not ten guidelines, ten suggestions, all right? Ten commandments. It's, it's, it's just there, okay? Ten commandments. But whenever we obey the Ten Commandments, that think about it, our life is just so much better. Absolutely. Our society, so much better. Think about a society where it's just incredibly permissible for murder, and that's not wrong. Um, Imagine where you would be. I know where I'd be. I'd be in a basement somewhere. That's where I'd be. All right. But just imagine a society where um, people can just rob your house, and that's just like a normal thing. Imagine how you would live your life. It would be different, right? Or um, imagine a marriage 
that, that they're committed to each other and there's, there's no infidelity there versus a marriage that has adultery in it. One marriage is going to be stronger than the other marriage. And so the reason why God is, is giving us these things, it really is a gift to us, to protect us, to make us to live life to its fullest. But our culture, by and large, says, well, if it feels good, do it. If, after all, if it makes you happy, it can't be all that bad, right? Well, you see, contrary to that, we need boundaries in life. We absolutely do. We need things to protect us. We need things to bind us. You know, uh, think about whenever you get onto a roller coaster, all right? Um, The first thing that you look for whenever you sit down on that roller coaster is that bar that comes down, okay? Uh, In fact, one time, it was in San Diego, and it was on the beach, so this roller coaster itself is already a little sketch, can I say? And by the way, those are the scary ones, okay? Not the ones that do like all the loops that are inspected. It's the ones that you know has not been inspected in a while. Those are scary, okay? And so I'm sitting there, but unfortunately I'm sharing a seat with, at the time was a uh, seventh grade girl because we're on this mission trip together. (laughs) So she's part of our youth group. And the bar only comes down far enough for me where it's like painful, okay? But there's like a six inch gap between her and the bar. And I think to myself, this is not good. So I found myself during the roller coaster, like holding her down because the bar wasn't doing its job. So I had to become the bar and actually prevent her from flying off the roller coaster. Incredibly uncomfortable conversation with the parents afterwards. Could you imagine? Hey, you remember how you used to have a daughter? Uh, Yeah, you know, well, we went on a roller coaster. So, so my point is this, is that you want the bar. The bar is so good. The bar protects you. And yeah, it's a little uncomfortable for me. It was incredibly uncomfortable. It was like, all right? But it, I wasn't going nowhere, that's for sure. She might have been. And so that's the thing, the, the bar, you want the bar. The bar is good. The bar protects you. The bar keeps you from flying, from flying away. And that's, and that's what the Ten Commandments are, guys. The Ten Commandments protects us from, from flying away on the roller coaster that is life. We'll say that. And, and so, so here's the deal. That, yeah, God calls us to obedience, but, but there's a payout. And the payout is that you're going to live life, and it's going to live life to its fullest. And the first commandment is simply this. It is, you will have no other gods before me. So in other words, God first, God first. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, which, by the way, is actually one of my favorite books. Few people will say that, all right? I'll admit that. But I I enjoyed Deuteronomy so much because here's why. See, God's people for 40 years have wandered the desert. They didn't trust God, and so their punishment before they inherit the promised land is that that entire generation, they're all going to pass. And it's not them who's going to inherit the promised land, but rather it's their kids. So the next generation is going to inherit the promised land. And so what Moses is doing before this next generation inherits the promised land, it's basically a recap of everything prior. It's, hey, you know, remember God who brought you out of Egypt. And, and for them, they weren't there. That's the thing. But their parents were there and they've heard the stories about it. And so Moses is recapping. And it's kind of like a, uh, a coach you know, in the huddle, right before they're going to, in the locker room, right before they go out onto the field. What Moses says here is, is he is, he is uh, commanding them to, to do this. And so, so check this out. If we go to, um, oh no, it's not up there yet. Never mind. But here's what he says. He says, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul 
and your might. Now, Jesus later quotes this. In fact, Jesus says that if we were to sum up all of the commandments, it would, the greatest commandment would be love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So, so love God with everything. And then, and then Jesus says this, and the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so really, if you were to look at the Ten Commandments, uh, really, the first three are about those breakdowns. The first three is about loving God with everything that you've got. And then the last seven are going to be about how we can love each other as ourselves. And so the first commandment really is to love God with everything, with all your soul, all your might, all your heart. And so the question is this, how do we put God first? A lot of us can look at that and say, you know, that sounds great. I really want to put God first in my life. How do I do that? And the first thing is, is in this area of finances. And yes, so that's our first blank. And yes, I am starting out uh, with the hardest one, okay? So it's going to get a little easier, but not much. But the first one is the area of finances. You see, it's interesting. Jesus said this. He said that, that your treasure is where your heart is. And what he meant by that is this. If I go over to your house this afternoon and I walk in your living room and there's Diamondbacks stuff everywhere, you know, like we're talking jerseys, we're talking flags, you got like signed baseballs, all right, by some of the players. I'm gonna assume that you like the Diamondbacks, right? Yeah, so in the same way, God wants us to use to invest our money, which is amoral, it's neither good or bad, but to use money in powerful ways. And in fact, he actually wants us to trust him first in this area of finances. And so he created this thing called tithing. Now, tithing is kind of a churchy word. Uh, granted, we don't use it much outside of church, but it is a, uh, simply a Hebrew word that means a tenth or 10%. And the first person in the Bible to tithe was Abraham. So this is early. This goes all the way back to Genesis 14, where Abraham, uh, he, he actually has a victory. God gives him a victory in battle. And so he's got all these earnings from the battle. He's got all this, uh, uh, you know, he's got all this stuff. And what he does is there's this priest that comes out, Melchizedek, and Abraham gives this priest a tenth of what he had, 10% of what he had, and he gave it to God. Now, the reason why he did that was because at the time, what you did was you gave a tenth of your harvest or a tenth of your earnings or your income or your stuff, whatever you want to call it, but you gave a tenth to your kink. And really, uh, can we all just agree, man, how awesome would it be if our taxes were only 10%. Just how awesome would that be, right? Well, that's what they did back then. And so Abraham, even above giving to the, any earth, earthly king, what he does is he gives it to God first. And, and what's the theological, their significance, everyone? That he is giving it to God first, saying that God is his king. And really, isn't that what tithing's about? Isn't that what putting God first in the area of our finances is about? You see, everything on earth is God's. We're just simply stewards. We're just money managers, if you will. And so by giving back 10% is being a faithful steward. Now, I want you to follow along with me here in Deuteronomy 14. So, so again, Moses is commanding God's people to tithe here. And here's what he says. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there 
You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock. That, okay, so he's saying, here's what you should do. All right, you should tithe. Okay, he's giving us this commandment to tithe here. But here's the thing. Uh, This last sentence here is going to be what we call a purpose statement, a purpose clause. In other words, it's like, here's what you should, here's what you should do. And this last sentence is going to actually give us a why. You see, what I love about God is that there's always a why, okay? He never says, uh, do it just because I said so, which, by the way, is something that my parents have said to me. And I said, well, I'd never say that to my kids. And guess what? I say it like 90% of the time now, okay? Just because I said so, all right? And, and by the way, sometimes there's a reason, but honestly, sometimes there's not, all right? That's how parenting goes. With God, there's never a, I said so because there's no purpose. No, no, there's a purpose for tithing. It even says it right here, that you may learn to what? Fear the Lord your God always. This word fear in this translation is not talking about the, the fear like you're deathly afraid and you're going to go you know, hide in the basement like I talked about earlier if everyone was out murdering each other. But, but rather the, this, this, this fear is like revere or this fear is like to, um, to respect, okay? And, and so what God is saying is this. God is saying that if we tithe, if we give 10%, then it's spiritual growth. We are going to be learning to revere the name of the Lord your God. We're going to be learning to uh, revere and respect and love him and worship him. It is a way of spiritual growth. You see, uh, a lot of people think that uh, we, we do a collection of tithes and offerings during worship. And some people think that it's like a timeout, okay? It's like this, that, hey, you know, we're singing songs and man, we're getting our church on, okay? We're worship, you know, there's, in the sermon, ah, oh, preach it, all right? And then all of a sudden it's, wait, wait, it's time for collection of tithes and offerings. All right, everyone, let's take a timeout. All right, it's halftime, go to the bathroom, okay? Oh, wait, collection of tithes and offerings are done. Okay, we're back into church. We're back into worship. It's actually the opposite of that. The reason we do collection of tithes and offerings in the context of a worship service is because it is worship. It absolutely is. It is absolutely worship. It is a way that we are saying, God, I put you first. And I'm going to put you first in this area that, by the way, is as comfortable, uncomfortable listening to as it is talking about, okay? <laughs> All right, but, but here's the deal. We're saying, God, I put you first in this area. And, and so that's what God calls us to do. In fact, uh, one of the things that we find here uh, at the end of the Old Testament with one of the prophets, Malachi, uh, we actually find this. So God is speaking through the prophet because that's how they did it back then. And here's what he says. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So again, what God is saying here is that there is a purpose to this. That if you tithe, that he even says, test me on it. And by the way, rarely does he say that because he also says you're not really supposed to, to test God like that, right? But, but he's actually saying in this area, you can test him on it. That, that if you do it, if you tithe, that he promises a return. He promises blessings that he will open the storehouses of heaven for us he promises this blessing 
And so that's one way to put God first is in the area of finances. A second area is, is in the area of relationships. You know, the uh, great theologian Will Smith a few years ago said this. He said, pick your five closest friends, so think of who they are. And then he said, and that's who you are. Is he right? I don't know. I mean, for Will Smith, I thought to myself, that's pretty profound, all right? But, that's, but think about it. Is he right? Think of your five closest friends, and that's who you are. You see, it's this idea of this, that, that we can say to ourselves all day long, you know, the people that are around me, the, the things that, that I watch, the things that we talk about, you know, those things have absolutely no effect on me. We can say that all day long. By the way, the entire marketing industry would disagree with you. Uh, but here's the thing, is that if we believe that we cannot be influenced, it's just simply naive. And, and so what it is, is whenever we surround ourselves and we start sharing lives and we bring people in our lives and we, we bring people into our homes who our kids are now looking up to. And, and if, if we do this and, these, and, and we bring people that don't have the same values that we do, who don't have the same beliefs that we do, it's absolutely naive to say that, well, that person is not going to influence me or my family in any way whatsoever. And in fact, uh, Proverbs 12 says this, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So here's the deal. We are called to have non-Christian friends. In fact, if, if you raise your hand and say to yourself, oh, I'm good on this one because all my friends are Christian, then actually you need to get out a little bit more. You got to break out, all right, of that Christian subculture bubble that we can often create for ourselves and, and actually interact, find ways to interact with people who don't know Jesus. That's part of our mission, okay? But if, if the only people that you have in your lives who speak into your life and you speak into their life, you share life with are non-Christians, then I think you really got to reevaluate that. I really do because, because of, of just the um, impact that it can have on your life and how easily we can be swept up and how easily we can fall away from the faith, and so the deal is we've got to choose relationships carefully. And this applies to friendships, but when I talk about relationships, it also talks about the people that we date and for sure the people that we marry. Uh, they've got to be on the same page with this stuff. And then our third area that we can put God first in is in the area of troubles. Put God first in the area of troubles. You see, whenever we're faced with a crisis and whenever something happens in our life that's unexpected, and it causes us this anxiety, this stress. The question is this, who or what do you turn to, right? And by the way, it's amazing how uh, people, and I say people, like myself included, looking back, it's amazing how many times we will turn to everything else and everybody else before we even think, oh, you know what, I should go to God about this. Isn't it amazing uh, about how, you know, God will sometimes be number two, but honestly in this area, maybe he's number three, four. Maybe he's not even on our radar. Maybe, maybe we turn to everything else and everyone else, but we never think, I should talk to God about this. I should go to God. I should, I should pray about it. Psalm 50 says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You see, we literally cannot pray enough to God. 
We literally cannot, we can't bother him, okay? Some people think that, oh, you know, God, of all the things that are going on, he's not concerned about this issue. Yes, he is. You you cannot bother God. You just can't. Uh, In fact, he wants us to come to him about everything. Uh, the, The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, come to him in prayer and petition. So what you're saying is, God, you know what, for for my troubles, for the things that I struggle with in life, you're gonna be number one in this area. You're in charge. I'm not, I'm not trying to control this. You're number one, you're in charge. So Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God as in, put him first, put God first, and then these things will be added to you. So put God first, and, and really all these other commandments, which uh, the, the final nine commandments, which... We are going to go through in the next nine weeks uh, are really just expounding on really kind of this first one. How is it that we can put God first? And then he promises that we'll be blessed. Or he promises that our lives are going to be so much richer, so much better. You know, really, um, I, I think that for a lot of us, and we can look at this and say, you know, I've tried to put God first in this area, and at times I've done it, and at times I haven't. And, and really, in this other area, oh, I really feel like I've blown it. And, and here, here's the thing that I want you guys to hear, is that, that that's why God sent us Jesus. We, we can look at God's commandments. Part of the Ten Commandments is that it's, it's supposed to convict us. It's supposed to be a mirror in our lives that says, oh, wow, you know, I've, I've done that wrong. And, and the beauty of the cross, which is why we have it prominent in our worship space here, is that, that it reminds us of what Jesus did, about how Jesus suffered and he bled and he died on the cross. Um, and as how horrible of an event that was, it was actually one of the best moments in all of history, the greatest moment of history, because whenever Jesus said, it is finished, what he's talking about here is he's talking about how the price is paid, about how um, all of our mistakes in our lives, all of the sin of the world, he paid that price for on the cross. He sacrificed himself because that's how much he loves us. And so really we can look at these things and, and we can say, you know, God, give us strength to overcome temptation in these areas. And God, I really want to work on this thing or that thing. But we can look back at the past and we can say, but God has forgiven us of these things. But God, uh, because of the cross and because of what Jesus did for us through his death and through his resurrection, we can look back and we don't have to feel ashamed for those things. We don't have to feel guilty for those things because that's what Jesus did. Jesus already paid our debt. He paid the price for our sin and our past is completely wiped clean. And all God's people said, amen. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, we, we thank you just so much for the gift of the Ten Commandments, uh, about how you want to protect us and about how you want, to, um, you want us to live life to its fullest. And here is the best ways to live. And God, we know that these things are important to you. It's, it's your top ten things that you've given us. And so we pray, Lord, that just like it being the bar that on the roller coaster that protects us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we can um, lean in and we can uh, trust you to guide us. And all this we pray, amen.